1: Hello and welcome to Spartan Speak, a podcast from the Lansing State Journal and Detroit Free Press focused on Michigan State sports. I'm Phil Friend, your host and sports writer for the LSJ, joined by free beat writer Chris Solari and LSJ sports columnist Graham Couch. Gentlemen, it is uh, Wednesday morning as we record this right now. How are you guys feeling? You guys feeling alive? You guys feeling excited about college football returning, or at least the Big Ten anyway?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, you know, look what happened with Wisconsin. What, how, what is it more exciting it took, than that?
1: It took it took it took a week for someone to come down with COVID, or more specifically, three quarterbacks to to come to, on the same team to come down with COVID. What a what a time!
2: Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, 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 it's something else.
0: You know, and that's the interesting thing too. I mean, this is I mean it's just like welcome to college football in twenty twenty Big Ten. I mean, this is you know this is the things that we saw back in in the beginning of the season that that was going on elsewhere. And, you know, it, it, it's, it's what you signed up for when you agreed to bring it back. Right. Yep. Uh, do we? I, I, I do think that, I do think that there is some, some, uh, you know, I don't know how you want to describe a delicious irony, uh, that Nebraska is involved in all this.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it, it, would not me, it would not pain me to be honest with you if Nebraska lost the game, like lost the right. game. Um, and it's not really because I have anything usually against Nebraska. I think it's like the nicest fan base in the world. But we all know, uh, you know, what they were put. And, and to be honest, I also am happy Big Ten football is back. Um, and they also, I think, helped propel it to come back. They kept their voices loud. So I, I don't want to say they weren't part of this, but they were also annoying little piss ants for a while.
1: Yeah, so with the Wisconsin, uh, I want I want to mention this for a minute before we talk about Michigan State, that that twenty-one day rule that the, the Big Ten put in in terms of a testing positive, you've got to be out for twenty-one days. Do you think that is that's too many? Do you think the Big Ten needs needs to relook at that or or not?
0: No, no, and and the reason why is because they're doing it for the the cardiac safety of the athletes. That's a big reason for it, so they can go through. Testing protocols to make sure that there's no part issues and after effects of of having, uh, whether it be myocarditis or anything else that that we don't and haven't seen yet.
1: Yeah, I don't know, but I guess I guess the other reason I, th- I thought about that was maybe because we've seen all these other <laughs> conferences; they don't really have that rule. And I mean, sabin tests positive, and then I know he had negative tests after that, whatever. But he was back in two days or
2: whatever. Well, that, so. But, the coach, so there's a couple different things. Yeah. One is. First of all, are you are you uh, you using a weed whacker or uh, chainsaw right now, Chris?
1: Yeah. Oh, I think that's that's None no.
2: Time. That's Maybe.
1: here. That's here. Unfortunately, it is right outside oh. my window. the The people, the apartment landscapers, have decided to do it to do their landscaping at this exact time right now.
0: You know, late late. I hear late October is a good time for landscaping.
1: <laughs> <laughs> beautiful, beautiful weather for it.
2: I'm with Chris on the 21 days because what you're trying to do, you know, when you do less than that, it's to protect other people, right? I mean the absurdity of of, of uh, Josh Turner right last night um, coming out with during the World Series without a mask next to Dave Roberts, his manager, who is a cancer survivor. Right, like like that is what the problem with that is not the the athlete probably himself whose season is over anyway, but it's the people around him and now all the families and with with a player, what they're trying to do here is not just protect other players, but they're trying to make sure. There are no, as Chris says, no lasting issues about something we don't know a lot about and a, and, a, and a thing that people react to differently. And it's also happening in a season that everybody gets a redo for. I mean, like, this is yeah. not uh, – I mean, Antoine Simmons, you forget, is now a junior. Rocky Lombardi became a sophomore. I'm not saying these guys won't leave, but all these guys can come back if they want. And, and this is a, a totally it, – it's, it's sort of a, a freebie year in that sense and and the other thing is we ought to be caring about the long-term. Like, yeah, I, I, it stinks that Graham Merckx might miss the Michigan game or whatever, but, you know, it, it really – if that's your concern, it, your value structure is screwed up.
1: Fair, fair enough. I just thought it was uh, – I thought it was interesting. I, I kind of thought Big Ten might go back and look at it, but uh, who, who knows? Probably not. I think you guys have convinced no, me. I, I, think I think you guys so. have convinced me that one way.
0: I think that's a, that's a major reason why they did – went forward with having the season this fall in the first place
2: yeah
1: all right well, well let's move on from that a little bit uh we got a lot to talk about today first thing uh, we'll do is we'll talk about yesterday's press conference with Mel Tucker and her comments <laughs> regarding the the school down the road uh the media also went with Antoine Simmons and Rocky the Bard, and we'll talk about what those three talked about uh then we will talk a little bit about the Rutgers game and uh, that happened uh five days ago but <laughs> I think people are at least fans anyway are still uh not happy with a lot of things that transpired in that game and we'll talk about what's sticking in our minds uh, four days later and uh believe it or not it's michigan week so you know with uh, the wolverine game on halloween afternoon we'll talk about the Michigan game in the in the build-up to that and then we'll make our predictions all right guys well let's start with uh yesterday's press conference with 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 mel tucker uh chris i'll have you go first here what, what was the thing that really kind of stood out from you or that you really want to talk about that uh, maybe took you back a little bit by, from stuff that mel said
0: well, I think to me, the biggest thing was that, I mean, he, he did address the, the, I, I think the overreaction obviously is there, but you know, you hear people immediately start calling for a job. I don't know how much of that's hyperbole, how much of that is actual frustration. I mean, but the reality is, I mean, if this ha if this game happens against Minnesota, um, and, and you lose like this against Minnesota, you don't have the same backlash. You know, if this happens against even Indiana, um, maybe a few years ago it might have had some of it, but but because it was record, because of the opponent, because of the way everything transpired in right. uh, those first I mean, those first you know, maybe twenty minutes of the game, you know, I think it was the first six drives that ended up in. You know, outside of the turn, the touchdown, I mean, there were turnovers, there were turnover on downs. I mean, you know, that was uh, it was as bad as a, as you could start a coaching career, and that's not hyperbole. And how much of that was on Mel Tucker, how much of that was on the circumstances, how much of that was on the past regime, leaving the coverage somewhat bare. Um, I think there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things that go into it. I don't think it's just one. Uh, well, and some of it goes on the coaching staff for not having them ready, but, and not dialing it back. Maybe that's, that's a hard thing. Um uh, but anyways, I think that, you know, it, it, the, the one thing that stood out w- was Tucker seems staying the course, um, with his message. I think that's, then that's important. I think that's important in terms of, you know, he talked about as a leader, you have to turn a page, Quickly, As a coach, um, you can't dwell and you have to set the tone for everybody else. And, you know, I think, I think that was, that is the right message at the moment. The only problem is that in hey, Graham, you, you, you're turning the page right into a, a giant hairy woolly mammoth
1: ready, staring you down, ready to stomp you. Yes. One that looked very, very good against Minnesota on Saturday. Night. So th-
2: there are a couple things that stood out to me. One is, is sort of what Chris is talking about. It was his tone. He, he was not defensive He did not sound, you know, he was not like, what do you you want? This is going to take five years. He was not, you know, one of the problems Antonio had at the end is he went from being somebody who read the fan base so well uh, to being very defensive in in certain moments. And um, this was not that. This was measured. This was, I get it. I've been coaching 24 years. I've been fired a few places. Again, this is why you you hire a, a head coach at 48 years old and not 35 often, because they've been fired. They've, they've seen, they have some perspective. They've been part of rebuilds. They've been part of building it. They know what they have and, and what's in front of them. I You know, here's an interesting dynamic, too, I've started to think about. Last week's game went about as badly as it could go for a debut, yes. But that is a very short-term way of thinking about it. Because if Rutgers had been just the miserable bunch of SOBs they usually are, then and Michigan State had won by two touchdowns, but been the same exact team that they are. The expectations going into this week would be different. And people might think the the, the, line, the Vegas line might be 12. And people would think maybe there was a shot at an upset. And I think what happened last week, as bad as it was, could help this week. Now, Michigan State has to not turn it over like that. They have to look prepared. They have to look physical. They can't wither no matter what the score is. Um, but if, if, if this is a game, even if it's thirty-eight seventeen, where Michigan State, you know, shows that they can, they have some athletes they can score with, and and uh, they they don't get just run over completely. It looks like a competitive game on the field for a while. Like what happened last week will actually help that be okay. And I think the psyche coming out of a Michigan game is much more lasting than a psyche out of a Northwestern game. So in that sense, what happened last week may not be the worst thing in the world. If the, this week looks okay.
1: Uh, Chris, you were the one you um, Mel kept re- referring to uh, Michigan as the school down the road. And then after he did that, I'll, I'll say four or five times, you actually asked him about why he was calling the school that uh, what was kind of your reaction to his response and, I mean, do you think it's a. I mean, what do you think about him just referring to Michigan as that kid? Or, or, do you think it's something that will stick and something that gets his team motivated, or is it just a little ridiculous thing that maybe that you don't need to worry yeah, about?
0: It, it, it's kind of a weird thing. So, I, in, in listening to back to it, you know, when he talked about the rivalry, uh, he talked about Michigan, Michigan State. He talked about Auburn, Alabama. He talked about. Georgia, Florida. He talked about the Steelers, Browns, you know, Bears and Packers, all these NFL rivalries, all these rivalries that he's been a part of as a coach. That 10,000 foot overview, he had no problem saying it. But when it came down to discussing the next opponent, he was talking about that school up the road or down the road, depending on which time you listen to him. So, you know, you know that that goes back to coaching I, I think that goes back to who you've been around and I mean that's straight out of the Jim Trestle playbook that's you know I mean I, I think D'Antonio had moments early in his career Graham maybe you can uh fill in the blanks for me on this but I feel like he, there were points early in his career where he were he would would try and avoid it as much as possible but then at the same point you know he also took a different approach and went head on and had no problem with it. And in, in some ways tried to minimize it publicly without that. And, you know, we'll focus it more on the football than the theatrics of it. And, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, I don't, I'm never, you know, I, who was it? uh was it Urban Meyer that had them get rid of all the M's in around campus at Ohio state during Michigan week. And, you know, it's, you know, that it's certainly one of those things that, uh, that it comes with rivalries, but it's, you know, it is what it is. I, I, I'm not a big fan either way of it. Graham, how about you?
2: Yeah, I don't like it. Um, I, but I don't, I mean, I just, I mean, it's not like it's a big sin or anything. I just, I hate that stuff. I hate the, I mean, I hate the school up North for Ohio state. I hate the, Remove the like, you know. I, I mean, I might get it, but it's just—I I like way D'Antonio did that really well, where it was not hiding from mentioning it. It was taking Michigan directly on. If if you're, I, I think that speaks to where Michigan State's fan base is more. Michigan State is not historically in a place where to pretend not to mention Michigan works. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like Michigan yeah. State is an insecure institution that rightfully thinks Michigan has treated them poorly over the years, and it matters. And D'Antonio hit that tone, and that's a tough tone to, uh, to take, but that's the, the great thing D'Antonio did before you know he won all the games, before they won three Big Ten titles and went to a playoff and won a Rose Bowl and won 36 games in three years. He, he spoke the language that MSU fans needed to hear when they needed to hear it, and he flipped the script on that rivalry. Now, Michigan was in a different place at the time. But, um, you know, and he, you know, what he said after the Michael Hart chuckle and, and little brother moment, and then what he said the next year after they beat Michigan, and then in 2009 saying, you know, this rivalry has a way of defining you and then continuing intent. He always had – he knew when to have a little jab. He knew what – to, and, and that's something you got to find your footing on. I don't have a problem with Mel, what Mel Tucker did. I just – I'm not a fan of the pretend something doesn't exist. Crap! Um,
0: Defi- it, it was defiance. I mean, that's what what D'Antonio had. He was defiance yeah. of the past, and it worked. It worked in his favor. Um, you know, I wonder. I and, and again, we're in weird times, weird circumstances. I wonder if it would have been a normal off season if you know if Tucker had time to really. Because I, I don't know. I mean, how much do you think this coaching staff had a chance to really even think about Michigan up until this week? Probably not much we're, at all. I
2: mean, I mean considering
0: you you had to you had three you were preparing in the summer to face Northwestern, then you were preparing to face Minnesota. And then all of a sudden you had to prepare to face Rutgers. You've already prepped for three opponents and you
1: only play one game.
2: Yeah. And I think, you know, the other thing is I was listening, I wrote a column, uh, it went up uh Monday evening on, you know, just sort of the, how this rivalry will, and in both rhetoric and results shape his relationship with MSU fans and how it did for D'Antonio and, and, one of the things I went back and listened to his press conference from their win in overtime against Nebraska last year, and he was really good. It was very subtle, but it was very much, we knew we'd wear them. We knew they'd wear down. We knew we were the best conditioned team, that sort of stuff that I think he wants to be a staple of his program. And you got to remember when he took the Colorado job, he starts in December with a full off season conditioning program, recruiting class, spring ball. He could feel that way. I don't think he feels that way right now. Um, and so it's a harder thing to have the things that are important to you about having bravado, like talking smack doesn't work when you don't have, uh, the pieces to back it up. And when nobody pokes you and you don't have the pieces, you shouldn't go at them. Like, and and I don't think he has yet, but I'm just saying like, you know, Mark D'Antonio didn't say anything before Mike Hart's comments in 2007. Uh, Well, that was.
0: The Appalachian no, yeah, State not, comment not is just, what started the whole thing down the road. When, when in in the post game with Will Teem and D'Antonio said, you know, it was, Michigan. Uh, Mark, Will Teem told him, you know, Mark uh, Appalachian State just beat Michigan, and he goes, "Well, let's have a moment of silence for him." That's what got it all started. <laughs> well, that's true.
2: That's true. And that was a snarky <laughs> comment. But uh, yeah,
0: but but at the um, same point, that's the defiant tone that he took from the outset at 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 his biggest rival, which you know you know, that's a that's a high-risk, high-reward move, right? Look like what happens What happens if they don't come back and win in 2008 and all those years in between? No you know, question. how much do we remember that? I mean, they went 7-1 yeah, like in that stretch. Yeah, you got to back it up. And I think that's the interesting thing I think about Tucker. It's like, you know, anybody who's a realist in this situation understands the situation that, that Tucker has been put in from a football standpoint. I mean, it's preposterous. I mean, you, you saw... I think as that game against Rutgers went along, you saw things started to smooth out a little bit. Um, but how for that, my goodness. I mean, that's that's why you uh, that's why you have spring practice. That's why you have all, all this fall camp. I mean, you know, football's a game of repetition, and if you don't have that repetition, what do you got?
1: In reading what the things Rocky Lombardi said yesterday, I thought his responses were were, were pretty measured, you know, pretty pretty good for someone who was a couple – Coming off a little bit of a rocky debut, nailed it. Um, what did you guys think of, of the way Rocky? Yeah, how long
0: the... you been waiting for that? How long on <laughs> that one? Had it in Come the back on, pocket man. for
1: had it, had it in the back pocket for a year now. Uh, what did you guys think He's of his halftime? Resp- <laughs> yeah, that was, he was at halftime, didn't
2: you?
1: Yes, you caught me. Uh, what did you guys think <laughs> of his response to to the way he played on Saturday?
2: I thought he actually played. But I thought it was the right response. I think what Mel Tucker knows is what a lot of people are should know about Rocky Lombardi right now. Um, Number one, again, he's not an older quarterback. He's a sophomore now. People forget that. Um, But he's also, and I don't know what his ceiling is. I don't know if he's the best guy to win a, a a big 10 championship with. I I do think though, that he is a guy who this year, given how difficult some things could be, how much pressure he might be under, how hard it may be to run the football. He is a, uh, a tough kid. He is a physically sturdy kid. Uh, I think he's a decent leader. I don't think he's somebody who's going to get rattled or lose his confidence. He's got wide-offs. And, and and I think that's not a bad way to go through the season. It's not that other guys shouldn't get opportunities if they if they present themselves and you want to take a look at other guys. and get, But I think there are a lot of reasons why Rocky Lombardi makes sense. And you can sense it in Mel Tucker's voice when he talks about the leadership and the things that grow. I mean, the numbers were, were decent. There, there was nothing that happened with Rocky Lombardi that would make you think that that was the wrong decision um, after after the first week. And that may change as they face stiffer competition, and, and And he'll have to do more, and he'll have to eventually hit on some deep balls. And if there's a better quarterback in practice, I'm sure we'll see him. But I, I also think for this particular team in this particular time, uh, he's a pretty good quarterback, and we, we now have to remember he is a – basically he's a fourth-year guy who's essentially coming out of his freshman year eligibility-wise.
0: And and this is fourth start. I mean, it's rare that you have that many starts um, coming into a season like this. I mean, D'Antonio never really had a guy who had multiple games starting experience coming back after losing a starting quarterback. Um, but you know, and I think that you had to because of the season. I think, in particular, you know, you had an off season in which. You know, those young guys did not get the kind of snaps and the the work with the receivers uh, that that they normally would. Um, you know, if, if there's an off-season competition, perhaps it's different. Perhaps Rocky Lombardi is even better than we saw on Saturday. So I thought that he – there were moments where he had – I mean, he had some good throws in that game, like really good throws. If you go back and watch. I mean, the third down – or the fourth down throw to Matt Dotson – put it low and just where he can get it. Um, The touchdown to Naylor, he threw the out to him away from the defensive back coming on. The touchdown to Reed in the fourth quarter was about as good of a throw as you can get. And there was one that kind of, I think, bodes better for the future than people realize. At the end of the first half, uh, he he sent Naylor on a fly route down the left sideline and just missed it. I mean, but it was a beautiful ball, right? Um, it, it was, it had good velocity, good height on it, good distance. Um, he allowed his receiver to run under it. That, that to me, when you've got guys with speed on the edge, um, you got to be able to put the ball up so they can get to it and get under it. Great play by Trey Avery to stop that. Um, who I think, I think Trey Avery had maybe the best, might've been the best player on that field um, on Saturday. But, but there were things that you saw with Rocky Lombardi that are, that are building blocks, beyond building blocks. I mean, you saw them move the offense. I mean, they, they got to get more in the run game. I mean, you know, you shouldn't have to throw the ball 44 times, but then they still ran it 39 times. So, although, one, to, to be fair, one of those 39 was a intentional grounding call on Lombardi. So that was, you know, it skews it a little more to the pass and you're coming from behind. But, yeah, I, I, you know, Rocky Lombardi wasn't the reason they lost. Um, and he could be the reason that they 're in some games uh, if he keeps and continues to play the way that we saw on Saturday,
1: yeah, I mean he was obviously uh, really hurt by, by the team wide the the entire team obviously was really hurt by all those turnovers, and that 's something we will talk talk about a little bit more, but we 're going to take a break here first. When Michigan State turned the ball over for the seventh time against Rutgers, Spartan fans certainly needed to chill out. Seems like with everything that's going on in the world today, we all need a moment to chill out. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. Over the last few months, we've gone from no sports anywhere to sports on television everywhere. Coors Light is the official beer of watching any sport or any team. So whether you're watching the Spartans or the World Cornhole Championship, crack open the mountain cool refreshment of a Coors Light. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. A perfect moment to unwind. For me, I reach for a Coors Light whenever I'm home and a game is on. And I actually did that when I was watching the Minnesota-Michigan game on Saturday and after we were all done with the Michigan State stuff. So make sure your refrigerator is stocked with Coors Light. When I need to unwind, Coors Light is the one I choose. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door at get Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, well, let's talk. Let's go. Let's go back and look at the Rutgers game a little bit here. I mean, obviously, I think. Oh, we,
2: let's just talk about the live read skills of Phil Friend. I, I mean, these are these are yeah. the tones. I mean, you are you are a voiceover savant, <laughs> man. Like. The, the, the jobs that are going to come for you. A Coors Light is one lucky company, Phil, Friend,
1: I, uh, I I did spend a yeah, couple. I d- sp- I spent some time yesterday practicing that to make sure I didn't uh, mess it up when I actually had to do this live recording.
2: I, I will say,
0: I will say that um, there's one person who's really, really sad that we picked up a a good Coors Light sponsorship like that, and that's Cody Tucker, our uh, our
1: former Spartan Speed yes. mate. Um, by far, by far, know, the biggest fan of Coors that we better. know.
0: Easily, easily, he's in Wyoming right now, crying in his Coors Light <laughs> that he's not here to talk about Coors Light.
2: And he is, frankly, one of the reasons Coors is the empire that it is is the amount of beer Coors that uh, Cody Tucker is, is drinking. Uh, it's
1: true. It's true. If I'm not mistaken, it's he's a, he's a Coors um, original guy, right?
2: Yeah, yeah. No, there's no light beer in Cody. Look at that frame. <laughs>
1: Well, let's move on to the to the aforementioned turnovers here. Obviously, I mean, I think we all think those seven turnovers are an aberration more than anything else. But I mean, it's definitely something to keep an eye on uh, going forward, especially with Jane Reed's two fumbles. Now, I think the Jane Reed's two fumbles were, I don't think that's a thing to worry about going forward. But it, it'll be interesting to. But I think people like Jane Reed even said this on, uh, I can't remember if it was your Saturday or, or earlier this week. But I mean, that's something people are going, teams are going to attack it and and watch and, you know, attack and see if they can see if that's how they can, you know, make him less of a, uh, you know, less of a target or at least, at least of a target for Michigan State anyway. So I, I guess what the seven turn, what do you guys make of the turnovers and in, in this game? Is it like Chris, this is something you've talked about all the time. Is it just simply due to the fact that they just haven't had enough practice time and then there was just a little bit of rust?
0: Well, I think that's a big thing. of I it. Mean, I mean, holding onto the ball, I mean, you was you a Tucker, um, during their, their camp. I mean, he's tell- he's yelling at guys, ball security, is job security, the ball, the ball, the ball. And, you know, one, if a coach is saying that, why is he saying it repeatedly? Sometimes there's the ball's getting on the turf in practice, right? Um, you know, from the game standpoint, you know, the read fumbles, you know, I wonder how much of that is the time off that he's had. I mean, he had over a year and a half off since he last played a football game. And the last time he played a football game was – was at the, in the at the max level, so I mean, you know, yeah, they hit hard, but they don't hit as consistently. And give Greg Giannos' team credit because they were they were hawking the ball too. Um, you know, you watch the defenders coming off the edge, and uh, their their hands were active and high and trying to knock it out of Lombardi's hands, and they did it uh, once at the one, and then they did it another time when they were coming in, and that got ruled a forward pass, and you know, so that would have been an eighth turnover. Um, you add in the two turnovers on down, that's almost 10 turnovers right there. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, I think, um, you know, is it an aberration? Well, you hope so. Um, but you know, the, the things that you saw, the, the interception that Lombardi threw, uh, on, on that, the one where he and Reed Reed was running the streak and he threw the out. I mean, that's stuff that, that usually is, is ironed out in spring practice that you didn't have. So, I mean, you got to clean it up in a hurry. Um, there's no question because, you know, if, 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 if ball security is an issue, you know, it doesn't matter if it's seven, 10 or three, just at the wrong time and the wrong point in the field um, that could
2: cost you. I, I think the Jaden Reed thing will be interesting to watch the turnovers because he's obviously their dude and they've got to go to him a lot. And, and, you know, I remember years ago when it, it was a little bit of a thing for LJ Scott um And, you know, it it can become something that becomes a thing, even if it wasn't a problem for you before. So you you don't want to see it continue or it it is sort of a thing, Um, you know, and and the the miscommunications at receiver and quarterback, you'd like to think as those guys get on the same page, that stuff will get corrected. And and I think there was probably some of it trying to do too much. Like if you're Jaden Reed, you've been waiting to play and you just, you get out there and, and you're looking to make a play and he did make some plays and, and, um, you, you're just not thinking in that regard, like you probably need to um, going forward. But yeah, no, that if, if this team is nowhere near good enough to have turnovers be part of their identity, <laughs> they, that needs to be um, no question. wrapped I don't
1: think there's any way that's it's going to be that high the rest of the year. But we'll, I guess we'll wait and see, especially with a Michigan defense that that looked lively against Minnesota last week and yeah. caused all sorts of problems for Tanner Morgan. Uh, one thing I do want to mention about the Rutgers game is I, I thought it was. I mean. Let's talk about the running back situation. Uh, I think I think I speak for a lot of people. I was very surprised that Connor Hayward was the guy who got the start. I mean, for for many reasons, especially you know Elijah Collins coming off a great year, uh, the fact that Hayward entered the transfer portal last year after after four games and comes back and is the starter for the opening snap. Now, obviously, you know when Mel Tucker comes in, that's that's a clean slate type situation. But and Tucker, I think, is, has even said that. But I, I still think it was a little shocking to see. And then we saw the. I'll call it the, the emergence is a, is a strong word. Cause I think he only had like 44 yards or whatever, but it, the, there were a, a handful of runs over Jordan Simmons, you know, a, a true freshman running back uh, look, looked lively and you could see there's a reason why he had offers from LSU and Georgia at, at one point in his high school recruitment. So uh, uh, Graham Hayward starting shocked, surprised, not surprised.
2: Um, not, I mean, surprised, but not shocked. I mean, I, you know, I mean, I, I think we all thought Elijah Collins was the incumbent. You know, I'd, I'd heard whispers that the running backs did not look great in um, camp. And, and if, if that's the case, that probably Elijah Collins because he's the guy who looked great last year. And um, he didn't. And so I, I don't think a lot of people were upset with it. But when Elijah Collins ran, he, he looked slow. He did not look like himself. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. I don't know. if You know, the other thing you have to keep in mind about these guys, and I don't know if it's it, but at one point the season was canceled. And I'm going to tell you right now, if I was in college and you canceled my football season, I would have had a full-size deep-dish pizza in my stomach within 12 seconds. <laughs> so I don't know, you know, in terms of just complacency or, you know, uh, how seriously you take a week or do you just, you, you've been training in the offseason, they tell you the season's not going to happen for a while, how, you know, maybe there was something there. I don't, I have no idea. I don't know. I have no idea mean, if it was dinged up. He didn't look like the same guy. Um, And I think we know who Connor Hayward is as a player. The problem with Connor Hayward um, with with relying on him is he's never going to be somebody who gets, he's a good player, but he's never going to be somebody who gets you something out of nothing. And unfortunately for Michigan state right now, you need running backs and playmakers, especially, I mean, your offensive line just isn't going to create creases and holes. You you need people who can create on their own and take little creases and hit it hard and, and turn it and get to the edge and, uh, Hayward's not going to be that guy uh, for this team, and Jordan Simmons, when he opens his eyes, looks like that guy. I mean, he's a young guy who's got some room, but he he ran hard and he looked like the best back, and I I would expect to see a heavy dose of him uh,
0: Yeah, and he looked quick to the edge, and right now you need to you can't run between the tackles. I mean, that was that was maybe some of the fallacy of the play calling that Jay Johnson had there, is trying to. You know, one of the things that Mel Tucker talked about and Jay Johnson talked about is not trying to force a, a square peg into a round hole, but they were trying to do that. And that's really what happened. You know, some of it's trying to establish your identity for moving forward, but, you know, you've got to also try and win a game, and I think that's where you saw Simmons come in. He had the speed to the edge. Um, you know, he talked about the patience of Jordan Simmons throughout camp, and, you know, we didn't necessarily see the patience. Um, he, he was you know, 100 miles an hour yep. all the time when he got it, and that sometimes, that sometimes cost him. Uh, but the Collins situation was really, to me, it was one of those things where we don't necessarily know some, some things that are going on, right? We, don't, we, don't, we know that there's been positive cases, right? I mean, that's, that's safe to assume. They you know, shut down workouts, right? We don't know who it was. And, you know, what's the, the effect of that, of not having that, that 14 days that they, they had to go into quarantine and in terms of training and and you know not really getting to hit get hit um, until late September late late you know that's those are all things that come into play with a running back um, you know but certainly you're right I, I think that there it's got to be a humbling and eye-opening experience for Elijah Collins and let, let's talk about the the other problems when, when we talk about the turnovers um, the running backs were terrible in pass protection. That's that's got to change. I mean, that first fumble was all on Connor Hayward. You know, that was a blindside blitz that he needed to pick up, um, and he didn't. And there was another blitz that that Collins was supposed to pick up. That that one that, that Lombardi, the the fumble was overturned. So yeah, there's a there's a lot of digesting to be done with that running back room because you can't average one point. I think it ends up about one point three yards per carry after the Lombardi. Uh, uh, Uh,
1: intentional grounding
0: grounding. Uh, yeah I mean you're talking I mean 1.3 yards per carry that's that's worse than the last couple years 50 yards against Rutgers I mean that's been your that's been the albatross around Michigan State's offense the last two years you've got to be able to run the ball
1: how much how much do you think that falls on the offensive line
2: oh it's a ton it's I mean like I mean don't get me wrong Rutgers schemed it well in the way they 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 use their nose tackle and, and and force the double team there and Stuff they did off the. Shiano's a good coach, right? And they have a better personnel than they've had in years past. I think a little bit, but um, the offensive line is. Um, I mean, it's just this looks like a total miss at the end of the D'Antonio era for for years in recruiting. And you know, I I I think this is the the biggest issue with the program is how long it takes to rebuild that because they are not going to compete for anything meaningful. Until that group is different in terms of what it can get as a push and protection. And I, it's, I, I don't know when that's going to happen or how much of it has to be overhauled. They certainly have to recruit better at the tackle position. I didn't think they played all that great inside um, this past week. You know, I don't think it's entirely on them. But now it's up to the coaches. You know what you have. And you may want to be something. But you got to help your team. It's sort of like when you watch Nick Foles play quarterback in the NFL. Talk about a brief Spartan quarterback for a minute. Nick Foles is at his best, even though Matt Nagy doesn't seem to understand it with the Bears, when he is in tempo, when it's like his world is fingertips and they're moving. And and I I think you're going to need to spread it out tempo. You're going to need to do some other things um, to give these guys a chance because they are what they are. And what they are is not competitive at a Big Ten level.
0: And I think some of it, you you also have to kind of, you you kind of have to take into account that they've had less than a month to really install everything. Not just not sure. just practice to install what they got to do. I mean, this is stuff that would have been done in March. You know, the, the basics are still there. The coaches are trying to figure out how to dial back and and go not just vanilla, but also simplify things so the players know what to do. And sometimes when you simplify things that, that gives the defense a heck of an advantage. Um, you know, there's a lot going on that, that, you know, that needs to be corrected, but you know, how do you, how do you correct them without having multiple practices? How do you correct them without having two a How do you, all these things that, that, um, that in the past coaches have had at their disposal this year aren't available. So, I mean, it sounds like excuses, but when football is a game of repetition and you don't get the repetition, Sometimes this is what you see. Uh,
1: Graham, I, I I think Bell Tucker staff agrees with your offensive line recruiting assessment. I mean, we, we've talked about this before in previous Spartan Speaks, but the the size of the offensive linemen they're recruiting now are already, you know, in the high 290s, low 300s. They're not taking, you know, 250, 260 guys and then going to build them up to 300 pounds. So I think that'll be well, an really interesting thing to watch going forward.
2: There are different philosophies with it and different like, – I mean, there is something – sometimes the, the best left tackles are – kids who are tight ends that you sort of, you put on the weight, you see it in their shoulders and their thighs and there's think, boy, that kid could be a, you know, he's an athlete. Let's, let's, let's make him a tackle. But yeah, it, yeah I, I agree. It's the guy. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It's,
0: it's called you in theory.
2: And so, you know, the, the other thing is, this is why you give guys multiple years before you say this is their team and you judge them in football. I, I do not think, I mean, there are lots of things you'll be able to judge Mel Tucker on week to week, season to season. Uh, and year-to-year year and recruiting and, and development of players and all sorts of stuff. But if you if you want to judge him on beating the top of the, the Big Ten East and competing for Big Ten championships like D'Antonio did at his best, and you're thinking anything before year four, then it, it, I mean this is the problem with when D'Antonio left and how he left it. And it, it, it stinks. I mean, he left the program how he found it, right? I mean, that's ultimately, he had a great run um and he proved for a while it can be uh and and, and you know uh, there was some bad luck the if the 2016 class goes differently then you know and it could have gone differently it really could have um then and and you had a certain different leaders that year and uh, it, it, you might have been able to up your recruiting the whole system might have been different uh, if he leaves after 2017 after you have that bounce back year and then you've got a young group with a new coach and and you know that the program might have sustained what he built. Instead, he George Perlis it. He did what most coaches do. They don't really understand. They, they can't. They they've lost something. They're not recruiting as well. And he he hung on. And now th- this program is where it was when J- John L Smith left it, and Antonio got it. In a lot of ways, it's where a lot of coaches have taken over it. I mean, and what they don't have, frankly. Is they don't have, and maybe they do it. Receiver and and you know, Antoine Simmons is a heck of a player, and Naquan Jones. There's some guys on this team, but you think about, you know, the the, the game 25 years ago with, with, um, you know, when Saban's first year against Michigan. You know, he's got a second round NFL draft pick quarterback. He's got Mooten Muhammad and Derek Mason at, at receiver. He's got, um, you know, he had Ike Reese. Yeah, you know, there are a lot of really good players on that team, and then. Very quickly, the team that upset, like if you think about upsets this week and upsets for this season, you know, the the, the great upset that that I always remember in MSU history is the 98 game against Ohio State and a four touchdown underdog and all that stuff. And that team had Cedric Irvin, Plaxico Burress, Robert Smith, Julian Peterson had, you know, NFL corners, uh, you know, NFL. I mean, that team had dudes everywhere. And they had holes, too, and that's why they weren't even a bowl team that year. They only think they won six games. But you need that. You need guys that, no matter who you're playing, are just going to be absolutely as good or better than the competition to pull upsets. And I don't think this roster right now, I think they'll be able to get some at receiver against just about everybody. But I don't think this roster right now can do that.
0: You know, it's, it's funny you bring up that, that Ohio State game was year four of savings and he had time to recruit and bring in the guys that, that fit what he in his philosophy were. Um, and then that's when he saw that, that ascent begin for the 2019 season. Um, You're you know, not that, 90, 90, yeah. that 95 game against Michigan, though, is, is one that I'm, I'm kind of digging in on a little bit right now because I think that that's, you know, I mean, that the parallels. I mean, Michigan was coming off a huge win over – Minnesota that week before, and Michigan State got absolutely waxed at Wisconsin the, the previous week, and I don't think many people were given Michigan State much of a chance. I think it was about a fourteen or fifteen point spread at that point, uh, a lot different than this one. But but you're right, they had some guys that had experience. I mean, you had a you had a, a quarterback in Banks that had started, and you had receivers. I mean, we, people forget Moussin Muhammad was their number three receiver. I mean he was barely used compared to Nigia Carter and, and Derek Mason um, and really they're one, they're one fourth down, one tip pass by Charles Woodson and an amazing catch by Derek Mason away from losing that game but instead um, because it's a rivalry game because you have guys that have been experienced in it, um, you were able to, to have the mental resolve to, to a lot of rivalry games. This, this group doesn't necessarily have those guys who have been in this situation. Um, very few of these guys, particularly on the defensive side, have, have played in this game. And, you know, that's you've got to be able to, to understand what's happening when it comes to a rivalry, when it comes to how much more the intensity amps up, um, which is going to be interesting to kind of see how this group uh, reacts to that. Because, you know, I do think there's more talent maybe than some people think. But it's not experience at all. I mean, you know, the the, yeah. the thought last year of going with the defense and basically rolling the starters for about eighty-five percent of the snaps um, really didn't do the future much credit. I think I think it's less about, to me, it's less about the the people that, that that were brought in, and more about the fact that they haven't had much experience, and you know, you've got a base level that you're starting with with in, in a shortened season compared to if these if if a guy like Chase Klein or you know, Shakur Brown or some of those other guys got a lot more experience last year. Um, you know, you know, including the offensive side with these receivers. I mean, that's you know, that's that's going to be to me. Uh, you know, how how mentally, if they fall behind like they did in that Rutgers game, are they going to be able to survive in a in a rivalry setting?
2: Yeah, no. I, and one thing I remember, in the twentieth and it was the twentieth, the twentieth anniversary. I did something on that ninety-five, and I remember the Michigan lineman saying. They, had, they, they did not think there was any way that Michigan State could drive 88 yards on them. And Michigan State right now, and that's going to be the, the thing, is can their playmakers this year, you know, go 90, or go 90 or 88 yards on people when they don't expect it? Can those guys, can, you know, that passing game create enough uh, that allows them to do what physically they can't do up front? Um, and I, I think that's what we don't know. Uh, they, 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 they've had the, the passing game in other years uh, to do it. I think these receivers are really, really good. I think, um, you know, it's...
0: Uh, well, who's your Scotty Green? That's the big question. Because remember, on that 88-yard drive, they were able to go on question. the
2: run a little bit, too.
0: I mean, they, they they were able to mix it up. I'm not necessarily sure you can with this group right now. Um, you know, unless, unless Collins all of a sudden... Uh, becomes the player that we saw last year a little bit more. Um, you know, unless Simmons takes that next jump, I mean, you know, you, you know, you need to be able to have that run game to to keep teams honest because they're gonna, you know, a team like Michigan with the defensive backs that they have, um, you know, across the board. I mean, you don't just have uh, uh, Avery Young; you've got you know multiple safeties, multiple corners that can make plays that can shut down your top options. Now, what do you do? You know if those guys are blanketed. You got to have something to go to.
1: So, so the thing that I'm kind of looking at is the defensive line. You know, Michigan's defensive line was, uh, to use a Mel Tucker word, relentless all all game versus Minnesota. And this is a Minnesota team that a lot of people like to potentially win the Big Ten West this year. And they just they, they were getting to Tanner Morgan feel like every other play. And we saw Rutgers, you know, get to Michigan State and Rocky Lombardi quite quite a bit last Saturday. So I'll be curious to see what kind of adjustments Michigan State makes in their protections and and stuff like that and and how they try to counter what the Wolverines are doing.
0: Yeah, especially late in that game. I thought they just, they turned up the pressure in that fourth quarter on Morgan and just absolutely squelched out any chance that Minnesota would have had to come back through the air um, by getting in there you know that's you know but i think in some ways that's maybe a little different that, that tucker has a, a minor advantage um and, and advantage might not even be the right word um he, he there there's something there that you haven't really seen a lot of what this team is but you know the question is is what you saw on saturday more of of an aberration or more of the reality and if that's the reality and what you see on tape is what you see on tape. Uh, then, yeah, they, they will be able to tee
2: up. Graham? Yeah, no, I, look, I think Michigan is going to be a challenge. Like, I mean, there were moments that, that, that Minnesota got some things going against that front seven, but uh, this is going to be an interesting challenge. I, You know, and they're, they're going to have to um, – I, I don't know how much better they are than Rutgers. I thought Rutgers' defensive line was pretty good. Again, we're going to find all this stuff out. One of the things that's really hard in week one is, you know, you don't 100% know what you're seeing because, you know, Minnesota can wind up being really good or not great or Rutgers can be better than we think and, you know, all that sort of stuff. They look more stout than I thought they would. Um, but I, I do think this is a um, this, this is going to be one of those things where Mel Tucker and Jay Johnson, uh, they, they've got to get creative and they have to do everything they can. They have to understand what they have in that matchup in the trenches and work to win this week, not work to establish what you want to establish forever. That said, you know, there's a certain point where you also have to, you know, you, I've always remember one of the reasons they beat Ohio state 22 years ago was that, uh, Cedric urban carried the ball like 26 times for 52 yards. And it wasn't a lot, but it kept them honest. It allowed Bill Burke and, and and Cedric urban uh, Plaxico Burress and those guys, Gary Scott, to do what they needed to do. And, and so you, you do have to keep some form of balance, but it, you also have to understand what you're capable of doing. And, uh, you know, you, you're probably not capable on short-yarded situations. If you want to go for it and be aggressive, that is not going to come with a traditional run play.
1: All right, well, let's move on to our very last item here, predictions. I want to, to get from both of you who you think will win this game and if Michigan State will cover the twenty-four and a half point spread that it is on DraftKings right now, Chris.
0: Boy, a lot of points there. Um, I just find it hard to see, see Michigan State competing in this game, not just winning. Competing, um, you know. The question is how how much can energy do? Uh, you know, to me, I think I think the spread's about where it should be. I think Michigan showed what they showed, and you got a, a guy like Milton who's slinging the ball around you got a defense that's aggressive and you know a lot of things that conspire against Michigan State I you know I haven't figured out a final score yet but I'd say around that spread
2: Graham yeah I think it's a I think it's an awful spread to take unless you really have in because it's tough after week one there's always a week two overreaction Um, like I would not if if you're thinking about taking Michigan State I kind of think that's insane because this could get ugly um unless
0: yeah, unless you're just taking them to cover,
2: you know. I mean exactly I mean thinking I'm you can problem. keep it
0: I'm two problem. three touchdown loss is still covering in this one.
2: I'm saying even to cover because this this could wind up being, you know, forty five ten or yeah, something.
1: It was it was forty four ten a year ago, right? And Michigan State had a seems like had a much better team last year.
2: And I'm sure they want to make and in the Harbaugh
0: factor, I I mean, I think Jim Harbaugh will absolutely, if he's got a chance, step on Michigan State's neck.
2: I mean, I, 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 I think totally
0: that's agree. Uh, that's, I think, a, a reality of it. If, you, if you're if you up, I mean, you saw it last year, they're up 44. They win 44 to 10. I mean, if they could score more, they would.
2: Here's here's where I would caution, though, betting your mother's house on Michigan, is Michigan State might have enough in its receivers and its passing game to put up some points. And so if you've got to, you've got to win by 25 and, and Michigan State's able to get to 17 or 20, you've got to score a lot of points if you're Michigan to beat a 25-point spread. I'm not saying they won't. I, I just think that there's – I think there's a chance. Like, here's the other thing. It, it, that, you know, that MSU offense last year was really struggling by the time they played Michigan. Like, I think that's a toss-up game if they had played it in September. And by then, Michigan State had had that, that gauntlet against Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State, which they lost their swagger. They lost a lot of games. They, they, they were in a bad place. And Michigan, which was struggling early, had found something and so this year early it looks like michigan's a seasoned program and, and has a great quarterback and has found a lot already but i i do think this msu offense has a little more explosiveness to it and so you know you talked about a backdoor cover michigan gets up 45 10 i'm also not surprised if the final score isn't 45 24 against this msu team when you let your guard down a little in those settings. I, I just think if I had to pick one way or another, I would take the spread for Michigan, uh, but I would not put a whole lot on it. So I'm, I'm going to say, and I haven't actually come up with my, my score 100% yet, but I, I'm going to say it's going to be something like um, uh, 42 to uh, 17, right around right around the actual spread. All right.
1: Thank you for joining us for this edition of Spartan Speak, a production of the Lansing State Journal, Detroit Free Press, and the USA Today Network. If you enjoy this podcast and the work surrounding it, please consider subscribing. You can follow our coverage at freep.com, and on Twitter at Graham underscore Couch, at Chris Solari, at Phil underscore Friend, and to LSJ white. Thanks for listening.